The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello there and welcome to another edition of the Cambridge Film Show, broadcasting here on Cambridge 105 Radio across the city in South Cambridgeshire. Thanks to Gavin for the last hour, but now it's time for your fortnightly film treat. It's spooky season, so find a cosy spot, a drink of choice, a speaker, a radio or some airpods and find out if it's more tricks or treats for this weekend's viewing. I'm Emma Evil Dead Marchant, hosting alongside Yossi Young Frankenstein Osman. Fantastic, hello. And here to chat on this Saturday are the team of spooktacular reviewers. Are you oh, enjoying no. my theme here? Lorcan, Last House on the Left, O'Neill. <laughs> hello. Matthew, Misery Taylor. Hello. And Ashley, Amityville, Whittaker. Hi. Hi, welcome. Um, although there's little actual horror on the agenda this week, sadly, we do have a busy show. Looking at the third hairy and twinkly musical instalment in the Trolls franchise, Bollywood hit Leo, and we will be dipping our toes into Halloween with the much-anticipated adaptation of hugely popular game Five Nights at Freddy's. Then also to give you some streaming choices, we're going to turn our critical eyes on edgy stand-up Bill Burr's directorial debut, Old Dads. Jamie Foxx and Tommy Lee Jones take on some very unconventional contract law in The Burial. And Benicio Del Toro smoulders back onto our screens in Reptile. But first, let's take a trip to the dawn of a new century, a new country, and Martin Scorsese's latest epic, Killers of the Flower Moon. Whose land is this? My land. Well, 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 our war hero has arrived. You made a good choice coming back here. Those days are the finest, wealthiest, and most beautiful people on God's earth. They outsmarted everybody. They have the say. Who gets the oil? Son, I got a question. You like women? <laughs> That's my weakness. <laughs> Well, we mix these families together, and that estate money flows the right direction. It'll come to us. Shomikasi. That's how you are. I don't know what you said, but it must have been Indian, Storm perhaps. And Jen, the same title as the 2017 book by David Gran, Killers of the Flower Moon, takes us to Osage Nation, Oklahoma, in the early 1920s, where oil has been discovered on the Osage tribal lands. But with this wealth, death also arrives, and a series of murders is decimating the community and not being investigated. We focus on Leonardo DiCaprio's Ernest Shackleton, back from the war, and here to help his uncle, Robert King Earl, played by Scorsese regular again, Robert De Niro. A marriage to Molly, a wealthy Osage landowner, well, along with her four sisters and mother, seems to promise peace and prosperity, but scratch the surface and evil lurks here too. Matt, I will come to you first. This is obviously Martin Scorsese's follow-up to The Irishman and is very, I think, very typically Scorsese in its story of corruption and... Um, like I said, you know, the idea of America at the beginning of a new century, starry cast, all that kind of thing. Did it is, let's, let's not say, it's really hard to talk about this without talking about the running time. Did it fully justify its three and a half hours? I think so, yes. I mean, I, I saw this in a double bill with Leo, which was two hours, 45 minutes. And this was three and a half hours and actually felt shorter than Leo. Although Leo did have an interval break, which I appreciated for the sake of my bladder. But uh, yeah, it, I, I felt like it fully justified its length. I wasn't bored. I actually wanted it to be longer because I felt like there was more that could have been told in this story. I, I went into this not really being very excited for it because I 
for some reason didn't have much anticipation but it really did blow me away from the start because I knew nothing about it I, I thought it was a sort of alternate alternate reality movie to start with because you get introduced to this world where the white people are kind of subservient to the Native Americans and I thought is this like an alternate reality piece but no apparently it's, this is a real time and place and you really get a strong sense of that different time and place and it's a fascinating setting for the story yeah Yossi Matt just touched on that briefly and I was also incredibly impressed with the literal with the world building I think that Martin Scorsese does in this I think his recreation of this time and place visually and emotionally in a way is absolutely fantastic um like I said we, we discussed Leonardo DiCaprio now Apparently, I was reading about this afterwards, he was originally slated to play the part of the FBI head, well, head, or not the head of the FBI, that would be J. Edgar Hoover, but this is obviously, like we said, like Matt said, it's a real-life story, and it is really about the birth of the FBI as well. And Jesse Plemons eventually took that part because Leonardo DiCaprio lobbied really hard to play Ernest Buckhart. Did you find that perhaps the star wattage of Leo playing a less than attractive role, did that stand in your way of really going and getting you know, swept away by this story? No, not really. I would say actually that I think it was the right choice for Leo to play Ernest Burkhardt. And he's presented as a, a little bit of a, of a dope, really. He's he's quite he's quite dim, if I may say. And I actually think he plays that very, very well. Um, and I think the casting is very, very strong across the board. I think we're going to have to at this point talk about Lily Gladstone, who yep. plays Molly Burkhardt, who marries um, Ernest. Um, she is absolutely wonderful in this film she's a real revelation and she it's not even in what she says it is her facial expressions it is the way she looks at people the way she judges things it's a very very measured performance and within that there's so much that's unsaid about her relationship with someone like Ernest Burkhart who may be a little bit dim but is making some very terrible decisions based on corruption and greed. Well, I was going to say that I think and and th there's been some talk about how Leo Leonardo DiCaprio's physical sort of demeanor echoes the sort of corruption he's going through, but like you say he appears to him, but actually he leaps straight in there at the beginning and does not hold back with these, you know, with with, with the terrible actions that Robert De Niro playing William or King Hale. I mean, that first line when he sort of says, "Well, you, or you can call me King like you used to." And you're like, "Well, you're you're wrong and aren't you from the <laughs> beginning?" But I don't think the joy in this film isn't trying to work out who's doing what because Martin Scorsese makes it incredibly clear from the beginning what was happening I mean yeah. you even see a, a girl being shot in the chest a 21 year old girl being shot in the chest and the, and the gun is left in her hand they're like suicide I mean this was a this is a blight on America's history in the 1920s right? Yeah I mean it's uh, really shocking to see these things happening and the plight of the Native Americans when they sort of had their meeting and say well if we could see these enemies we'd fight them but they, they didn't know who was doing it to them and that's why they needed a sort of a police presence from outside the area to come and actually make some sort of impact as to who's doing it. There's that great line in the trailer where uh, Jesse Plemons is going to DiCaprio's house to ask about the murders. Oh, what about the murders? Find out who's doing it. <laughs> Which <laughs> I really enjoyed. It's yeah, Lily Gladstone really kind of steals the steals the show, even though as the film goes on and she's getting more and more sick with uh, diabetes so her kind of physical performance gets smaller and smaller but the kind of emotional performance almost gets bigger and Leonardo DiCaprio he's got this incredible grimace almost the whole way through it looks so uncomfortable but he, he really carries it off and I can't imagine him swapping roles with Jesse Plemons for this 
can I just add, because I have to admit, I'm very ashamed that I did not know much about the um, Osage tragedy. I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. I don't think many people do, no, which is why no. I think Martin Scorsese is dead. And I think that's why it's a really important it film. It is. Actually. It's a really important film. And I just want to, to say that the sensitivity with which Scorsese depicts this awful, abhorrent American tragedy and the fact that, like you say... There's no point at which I think that these characters, some of these characters, such as Leonardo DiCaprio's character or Robert De Niro's character, are forgivable. It is very clear what they are doing and why they are doing it. But also the sensitivity that's throughout the film in terms of the indigenous peoples, I think it was really, really well done. And um, like you say, a very important film to watch. Well, and I think as well, it, what, I, what I sort of thought of as well was the fact that, you, you know, it seems like they're moving into a sort of place of... Um, you know, the 1920s seems modern and seems cultural and all this mm. kind of thing, but you scratch the surface and you're only really 30 years away from frontier times, particularly mm. as far west as Oklahoma. And I think it does a good job of that, that that tension running underlying the whole thing, combined with some glorious scenes. I mean, um, Ernest and Molly's wedding, Buckhart's wedding with the, with the hats. And, the, and it, it's it's such a, it's a really beautiful scene. And then obviously this turns into a, a marriage of kind of lies and gaslighting and, mm. and possible poisoning and all the rest. It, it, you know, it's, you feel her pain. I also was, didn't think I, I thought the running time was justified well, I say that it is a long <laughs> film but like I think a reviewer said and I would say the same thing who at this point is going to tell Martin Scorsese that he needs no. to cut this film by now no one frankly no he's not going to be listening to this thinking oh Yossi thinks it should have been <laughs> shaved by 30 minutes oh my goodness got to think about that for the next it, one well, they, I thought and, it could have been do, longer so. they do this brilliant sort of ending as well and they, they, they do this excellent yeah, I, I won't ruin it but they do a really mm. clever epilogue at the end as well but I was going to say it's almost a film of sort of, 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 of two halves and like you said it is about the beginning of the FBI as well because from what I understand this case was one of the first cases that the newly formed FBI took and ran with and sold so I absolutely loved it when Jesse Plemons turned up as Tom White the FBI leader I was I, I, I almost cheered in my seat I was like <laughs> now people are going to get their comeuppance I felt to myself if there was one criticism I had of it is that DiCaprio and Robert De Niro are both so awful and irredeemable and you spend so much of the film with them mm. that I was almost thinking I just I, I'm, I'm really enjoying this, but I'm just finding it hard to kind of like these characters. But then Lily Gladstone kind of brings you back into having a sort of emotional heart to it all. And then you get a couple of other extra big names at the very end with, with John Lithgow playing one of the prosecutors in a court case. But then I must admit, I did laugh a bit when I saw Brendan Fraser <laughs> pop Gosh, up. He, I, I was quite I was surprised. A thrown I, out of it at that me point. too. I have to. I was just about to say if, if one of my criticisms would be, and there are very few, but. The, the courtroom segment to me felt a little bit hammy. It did take me out of the whole narrative for just a short time, but it's still a great film and I would still recommend it. But then you do get some wonderful scenes, like you get that wonderful scene between Robert De Niro and Leonardo DiCaprio in the in, in, in where yes. they both are in the cells. And like you said, by that point, their odd facial expressions are almost mimicking each other so much because they are obviously meant to be related. And I think on paper, they look nothing like each other, but I think they do a really good job of, of, of convincing you that they are related. Um, and a shout out as well. I'm going to give a shout out to the music because it was his last collaboration with Robbie Robertson. We talked about this before we went on there and everyone was surprised I knew this kind of fact. It was Martin Scorsese's last um, last collaboration with his long-term collaborator Robert, Ro Robbie Robertson from the band who died I think a couple of months before this was released and it really the music and j just I think the vitality of the filmmaking yeah we've talked about this when we talked about West Side Story from Spielberg the vitality of the filmmaking coming from an octogenarian is spectacular Yes, and hats off to um, DP Rodrigo Prieto and production designer Jack Fisk as well because I think it just looks 
brilliant. Yeah. Every single shot is amazingly done. So, great. There you go. So if you have three and a half hours, then we would say <laughs> go and um, get going, go and spend it in your local cinema. You might do a little bit of stretching. Or, but I, I managed to make it all the way through without, without a single break. So hurrah for that. That is Killers of the Flower Moon. It is a certificate 15 and it's showing in all the Cambridge cinemas. Right. Well, with Halloween just around the corner, we had to put at least one sort of scary, we'll see according to our reviewers, um, film in. So this is Five Nights at Freddy's. Hi, this is Mike. I was just calling to see if that job that you offered was still available. Yes. The security guard. I will take anything. This place was huge in the 80s with the kids. They shut it down years ago. The owner's just not ready to let it go yet. I will work and you will sleep. I understand. Give me your hand. trailer for Five Nights at Freddy's which is based on a video game series and media franchise created by Scott Cawthon. Um, now I haven't seen this, I don't know anything about it. Ash you are a big Halloween and and horror fan I would say. I, yes. don't, I don't know if you know anything about the video game series. No. But how did you find this as a horror film? It's not a horror film. And could you tell us a little bit about it? Because I have not. <laughs> okay. Well, it's a, a security guard. So the the lead character, Josh Hutchison, very cute kid who must be about 35 by now. Still think he's adorable. Um, uh, down his luck, looking after his little sister, needs a job, takes um, a dodgy sounding job as a security guard at an old rundown kind of amusement arcade with these creepy human-sized animatronic bears who are the house band. Um, yeah. Cue weird nighttime shifts. It's not a horror film, I wouldn't <laughs> say. It tries. Okay. It's by Bloomhouse. It tried. So not a horror film. Okay, um, Lorcan and Matt, I know you've both seen this. Do either of you know anything about the games, or did you just see this with fresh eyes? Uh, I've I've played um, a couple of the games. Okay, I've, I played um, the the VR one, which is I think uh, a reimagining of the first game, but in in virtual reality. And it is reasonably effective because you're a security guard, you're in the booth, you've got cameras and you're trying to stop the beasties from coming and killing you in the security office. And in that sense, it works, but that just isn't enough to sustain a film. But then they don't even do that, really. I think there should have been at least a sort of five or ten minute sequence of him in the security office doing the bit from the game, but they, they don't even really do that. And there's just there's just so much about this film that doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's it's not scary, it's not gory, it's not funny, it's not interesting, it's too long. Uh, I was just incredibly bored. I feel like it needed to be half an hour shorter, a, a lot bloodier and gorier. I, I almost think this could have been a 12A, which probably would have suited it better. I think it got, could have been a 12. Yeah. But yeah, there's just there's just too too much about it that just doesn't work at all. Right, okay. Lorcan, what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, all, all I really know is I know this film has been in production for a long time. They've been trying to make it since the game first kind of broke out, but during that time, the game's kind of devolved into this... I mean, I, th I think the target demo now for these games is like eight to seven, eight-year-olds. Mm -hmm. uh, that makes and, sense. And, I mean, God, yeah, I've seen more violence in a toy commercial than this <laughs> film. There's nothing in it. It's a PG-13 in the States, but in the UK... So, 
for whatever reason, for a justification of giving it a 15. I don't understand that the newer screams are 15s and they're kind of on the edge. I'd be scared of a 15-year-old. I kind of like this, though, but I, I'm astounded it's a 15. Astounded. I think, yeah, I think the only blood is in shadow. And then you've, you've got Josh Hutcherson, who, bless, he's, he's not a leading man. And he was, oh. I mean, he was, oh. he was, the, he was like, he was, popu- he was popular trying. when, he was popular when people now in their late 20s uh, watch The Hunger Games. So why he's, why he's been even cast is kind of bizarre. Um, and yeah, like like Matt says, it, nothing really works. You don't care about the character dynamic. The, the, the threat that keeps him coming back to the uh, amusement thing is this evil step aunt who apparently is very well off and is desperate to take the sister for the, the state check. welfare. And I which know I how looked, much those checks I are. looked it up. It's $120 a week, which I don't think is quite <laughs> worth anyone's involvement in this scam. Um, but it was lovely to see Matthew Lillard. Anyone who likes Matthew Lillard is going to get a nice little jolt. It but is. not enough to see the film, according no, not, to you. Oh, Lord, okay, okay. And I see Mary Stuart Masterson's in it as well, as of some kind of wonderful, the, my most favourite John Hughes film ever. Matt's shaking his head. Not a joy? N- no one gets off this film well, apart from Matthew Lillard, kind of. No, they are. Oh, I was so okay. annoyed where he pops up towards the end. I was like, oh, that's, come on. Because, Ash, I, I think I'm going to have to come to you, because when I was looking up this film earlier today, critics have absolutely panned it, okay? But actually audiences seem to be a bit more favourable to it. And you, you've you said at the beginning that you quite like this. And come on, give us, give us some I, I did. It's adorable enough. They, they were trying. I had a lovely time. I think something was lost in the, the tests, the test screenings. I think they had two separate films. They had a 15 film that was scary and bloody and violent because toys creep me out. It's not hard to creep me out mm. with, with toy horror films. And they probably had a much, much lighter one that's a 12 and you can take your kids to it. And I would show this to a seven-year-old <laughs> in a heartbeat. And they just weren't <laughs> sure which way they were going. And they, they kind of tr- trod down the middle and it, it was neither thing. It, it wasn't a child's Halloween film. It wasn't a teenager's horror film. But it, it, it's a cute enough middle ground. How, it was enjoyable. How did it compare to Megan from that point of view? Oh, that Megan's good filmmaking and it's creepy. Okay. This is... This is straight to Disney Plus for nine-year-olds at Halloween. But I think it's going to do well, and I'll tell you why I think it's going to do well, why, even though I haven't seen it, because I've got twin. My twin boys are absolutely this demographic. They are 16. They grew up with Five Nights at Freddy's, like you said, Lorcan. They played it when they were 11, but there's enough of a residual love for it that they wanted to go. They both were like, Wednesday, that was it. They both, I'm one that was at the 10.30 a.m. screening or whatever, so I think it's going to do well because it was half-term and you've got these teens who were like, yeah, we fancy it. However, they both came out very underwhelmed. The, the screening I saw it in was pretty much packed, and I was the oldest one uh, in there. But they seemed to be responding to it and enjoying it, and I don't really understand why. Uh, unless Were they laughing just... at it? I don't <laughs> think so. There wasn't, there's not enough to laugh at. I mean, it's just so dull that there's just... It just the whole premise just makes no sense because in the video game you just you start off and you're in the security room you're doing the thing, but in this you have to they have to come up with a reason as to why an abandoned restaurant has a full electricity and someone is still <laughs> presumably paying for it to be maintained, and you're they never thinking sort of too hard about that. it. Just lean okay. in. <laughs> I mean, some people. 
I was just about to say, some people might just want to go to this to have some mindless fun and just go. It's Halloween. They're just going to want to go to the cinema and see something maybe a little bit scary. Apparently not. I don't know. But if you do want to make up your mind, Five Nights at Freddy's is at the cinema. Uh, I think it's showing at the light and the view in Cambridge. Is it the Picture House, Lorca? No, not at the Picture House. Don't go there for it. Okay. And it is a certificate for some reason, 15. Okay, on to streamers now, and let us check in with the old dads. I always wanted to be a dad. It just took 46 years for it to happen. Just rub some dirt on it. You might want to put a little Neosporin on it. I think it get infected. Oh, yeah? Are you a doctor? Are you just like one of those WebMD guys? This is common knowledge. You want to keep the cut clean. Well, listen, I'm trying to raise a little man here. Now. So why don't you just go on Twitter and go share this story where you're the hero? What's up, party people? You happen to check that new joint from Little Baby? Come on, pound it out. That's okay, thanks. What? He's Fleek. Oh. Fleekity Fleek. All right, he too like it down. We gotta impress this dude. Change happens faster than when you were young. This company is now a gender-neutral, carbon-neutral, 21st century lifestyle brand. I would give props, though, to Lorcan, who did our trailers today, for finding a radio-safe trailer, because I can't imagine that was... Or, or props to the Some old dads. edited. Trailer. Yeah, exactly, because I can't imagine that that was easy. So, popping up on Netflix uh, last Friday, Old Dads is stand-up comedian Bill Burr's directorial debut, and is literally the story of three older dads who are navigating the 2023 world of political correctness. Now, literally everyone's seen this. Um... <laughs> I know some people really hated it. I don't know how other people... I'm going to start with you, Lorcan. Um, okay. Did this hit an entertaining chord with you? I mean, you are not old. You are not a dad. You are not living in America. You are not an angry man. So mm-hmm. was any of this... Did any of this hit home for you? Well, I would actually disagree. I think I am I am a, a kind of a, a grumpy old soul at heart. Um, and <laughs> I, I do, for, for, the mo- for the most part, I do enjoy Bill Burr's stand-up. But, um, I mean... I, I imagine, like, the modern modern kind of culture, there's any number of things to ridicule. And I'm sure there's many, many people in Hollywood that would like to make a movie that is just kind of ranting against all this kind of stuff. But what you do is you come up with a, a plot concept that's a euphemism, and then you get people thinking through euphemism. What you don't do is you make an hour and a half film directed by yourself that's just <laughs> a scene after scene of this I hate this thing in modern culture I'm going to rant about it and then move on to the next scene um, it was moderately funny at parts but mostly coming from Bobby Cannavale who I'm a big fan of and he even manages to work in some good lines when the lines probably wouldn't have been as good coming from someone else he's a good offset to Bill Burr in many ways I agree with that we did have a small chat didn't we about why is Bobby Cannavale always in terrible films when <laughs> he's tragic. actually a really yeah. likeable actor it's like maybe he only likes to make films with his friends his friends make terrible films um <laughs> Yossi, you you messaged us and were like, I did not like this at all, which does not surprise me in the slightest. Obviously, this is a film written from the point of view of older, less politically, and, and, the, and you know, the amusement, this whole, they, they lose their jobs after they get caught on the dash cam of a rental car talking about... Um, which I don't think would happen, Catherine. by the way. <laughs> Catherine, 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 is it Catherine Jenner? Caitlin, Caitlin Jenner. Jenner. Caitlin, Caitlin Jenner, which, yeah, I, I don't, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't put dash cams in there anyway, but Tell me why this absolutely, you know, why this sat with you so badly. Well, I am your resident woke millennial and proud. Um, and so I knew from the beginning I wouldn't like this, but let, but not for the reasons that you think, right? Okay, yes, it has some commentary in it that is, in inverted commas, anti-woke, but it doesn't even, for me, really get that bit right. It's just silly. As Lorcan said, there's... It, 
it's kind of angry at this, angry at that. And then he's, Bill Burr sorts of gives up on it about halfway and decides to make something else with he and his friends going to strip club and drinking. And I'm just like, where is this going? Where is the development here? There is none. It just, to me, was very, very stupid. Um... Ash, I'm going to say one of the. Th- I I I laugh. I did laugh at this. I did laugh more than once. There were certain scenes, like I said, mostly like Lorcan or Bobby Cannavale. I was terribly excited when C. Thomas Howell popped up in it, but sadly was only in it for literally four seconds. And I was like, "There's a waste of C. Thomas Howell." But I was going to say that one of my things, one of my issues with this, so it's real um, sort of fantasy fulfillment, I think, for these three guys who are starring in it, in the fact that they're all married to much hotter, much younger women. They're all enjoying this sort of, you know, like, and, and I was a bit like, if we not, I, I feel. Like like we've seen this before and this just feels like the patriarchy justifying itself that was my main uh, proud woke millennial i just found the rest of what yozzy was saying it was just so stupid i didn't even pay any mind to it laughing at not with the thing i hated was the married relationships and how none of these women would put up with anything <laughs> that these men did and the fact that we are training the next generation of people who will be watching this film who aren't as smart as me that that is okay <laughs> is ridiculous. The only bit I liked was Bobby Cannavale again when he stands up for himself against his wife, but that relationship had flipped traditional gender roles and that's the only reason I liked that. Yeah, it was the relationships were horrendous. The abhorrent thing these men get away with, and just their smiling wives are like, <laughs> let's start again. I'm like, no, have a backbone, get out, don't live. 40 more years of your life with this person Matt you are obviously not old but you are a you are probably you are the one representative in this room who has children <laughs> of this age you know so did any of this ring true this kind of jockeying for position among you know this, this whole idea that you've got to get on well at your preschool to make sure you get to the right pri- you know to make sure you get to the right prep school to make sure you get to the right private school there was a lot of that kind of anger coming through it as well against maybe you know this 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 stupid idea of the education system how did you feel about that I don't know I, I didn't think the the dad's aspect really mattered that much it was just as Lorcan said Bill Burr wants to rant about things that make Bill Burr angry and I, yeah, I didn't think there was a whole lot of wit behind most of it I mean it's just quite obvious kind of straw man arguments against uh, politically correct ideas and uh, yeah I didn't think it was particularly clever in that sense I did laugh at a couple of bits I did did enjoy the presence of C. Thomas Howell, who you could argue is one of the first victims of cancel culture in that he used to be sort of top billing in films above Tom Cruise and Patrick Swayze. Oh. But then he starred in Soul Man, which very, is a movie. Very, very ill-advised. Yeah, and t- t- torched his whole career. So I, I enjoy, I always enjoyed seeing C. Thomas Howell because it reminds me of how bad Soul Man is. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I enjoyed Soul Man when I saw it the first time I, in 1980, whatever it. it was. I don't think anyone else was alive, but yeah, anyway, there you go. <laughs> but the, the moment that I actually genuinely laughed was when Bokeem Woodbine was interrogating their millennial colleague in the car about how he raps along to NWA and they force him to rap along to Straight Outta Compton and see what he's going to say when he gets to the N-word part. And I I did find that funny, uh, despite myself. But I think the big problem I have with this movie is that it's fine having a movie with terrible characters, like, say, Always Sunny in Philadelphia has terrible characters, but the joke is always that they're awful. Yes. Whereas the joke in this is Bill Burr is right about everything and culture has gone downhill and everyone should just be more like Bill Burr and I just think no he's just kind of a jerk and he doesn't learn anything and everything works out fine for him at the end he just tones it in a bit 
Well, I think as we said, it went from one half to another, didn't it? And in the second half, it is about this kind of, you know, like marriage building. His wife chucks him out. He, he, you know, he goes, he, he grows in character. It, it, it does. No, it he doesn't. No, doesn't. No, but you're meant to think he does. It yeah. doesn't seem to know what he's doing. Lorcan, I'll come to you finally. Do you think that maybe the problem with this is that Bill Burr is having to play it too safe? That Netflix said, OK, we're going to let you make a film. Here's some money. Here's your directorial debut. But he couldn't go as far as perhaps he does go in his stand-up. I'm going to hold my hands up and say I haven't seen much of his stand-up. I know him best from playing... Um, Pete Davidson's dad in The King of Satin Island but mm. is, is there maybe something to say that they should have just given him f- freer reign to have made a really well, no, I, th- I, I think he does a free reign because his stand up from what I, I, I haven't seen a lot of his stand up but from what his stand up from what I've seen he is he reigns it in. He does stop himself from going too far when you feel like he probably wants to go too far so this is par for the course for him um, but it's, it's, it's just the problem is I, I it's, he doesn't know how to write a script. Uh, the, the directing is fine for its par for the course for Netflix movies, but yeah, it's just there's a bit where they take this like young uh, woke millennial guy from the company where they kind of work at now, and they take him on a car ride, and they're they're going to try and find C. Thomas Howell in the desert, who's like this hermit. And I was like, oh, the movie's going to be about like self discovery as they talk to this old man. No, they hit an armadillo, and then next scene, <laughs> it's, it's just there's no through line whatsoever. However, there is some enjoyment, though, in seeing Miles Robbins, who's playing their sort of terrible boss, Aspen Bell, and trying to work out if he looks more like Tim Robbins or more like Susan Sarandon. I found at least 10 minutes <laughs> entertainment in that. Yeah, and he, I, I think more like his mum, to be honest. Yeah, but yeah. Sarandon eyes. Oh, I actually did really enjoy Miles Robbins. He, yeah. He's in, a, he's in a video game called The Quarry, which I played <laughs> recently, uh, and I really enjoyed him in that. And I thought that of everyone, he probably kind of gets away with the material more than anyone yeah. else does. I also thought Bruce Dern was dead, so that was scary <laughs> when he showed up. <laughs> Well, there you he go. He looks dead. Hey, so, old dads is not getting a rave review here, but it is free with your Netflix subscription. And we would say, you know, come for, 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 for anti-woke chat, but stay for Bobby Cannavale, Miles Robbins, and knowing that Bruce Stern isn't dead. <laughs> it is the Certificate 15, and it's streaming on Netflix. Now, we're going to go, I think, and squeeze this in quickly before the ads, because we are going to our foreign language treat of the week. So there is no trailer for this, but Matt... Uh, a little bit like last time I did it and we did Slam Dunk it's very very was very keen to talk about this and this is Leo so I, now I've lifted this directly from IMDb because it entertained me Leo is the story of Perthaban a mild mannered cafe owner in Kashmir who fends off a gang of murderous thugs and gains attention from a drug cartel claiming he was once a part of them reading this Matt that made me think of A Long Kiss Goodnight with Gina Davis mm. it, it, it's there any similarity in Leo? Tell us about it. I would say the movie this most reminded me of was Nobody from a few years ago with uh, Bob Odekirk, where you think he's just a mild-mannered nobody, but actually he has a run-in with some gangsters and it turns out he's a CIA hitman or whatever. And this, for the first half, is quite a good sort of almost remake of that because we're introduced to Party Ban, I think is how it's pronounced, uh, and he is subduing a wild hyena that has uh, escaped in the village so that's how you introduce to him and then he kills five criminals in his local coffee shop because they threaten his family and you think mm, maybe this guy isn't just your average joe and it's kind of well it turns out that he might be the son of a local crime boss called leo but the movie is two hours 45 minutes and the central question of is this guy just a nobody or is he Leo isn't convincingly or isn't finally answered until two hours 40 minutes in. So you've only really, you're trying to answer this question for the whole movie and it gets to the point where 
either outcome is going to be unsatisfying because if he is just an ordinary guy then how does he have all of this incredible murder skills and if he is really the crime boss son then why even when he's not with anyone why is he still acting like he's just a nobody so it gets to the point where neither of those twists make sense the action starts off reasonable i mean killing five people in a coffee shop pretty reasonable by the standards of action films but then by the end he fights i think a hundred guys in a warehouse and he even does the move from xena warrior princess where she puts her pole in the ground and spins around kicking everyone in the head and that looked ridiculous in the 90s on channel 5 it looks even more ridiculous now in a supposedly serious movie so yeah my my tolerance for this started off quite high and i was quite enjoying it but then actually after the interval it just went completely insane, full Bollywood madness. Okay, and talking of Bollywood, I don't recognise any of the names in here. You know, there's, it's not as if it's a Shah Rukh Khan film, but Joseph Vijay, is he is is he a Bollywood star? Have you seen him in stuff before? Was he the beating heart and soul of this hyena-killing film? <laughs> I've, no, he doesn't kill the hyena. He subdues it with a tranquilizer dart, and actually it becomes his pet, which he Obviously. then <laughs> uses in a sort of Home Alone-inspired uh, home defence scene later. I, I actually thought the central guy was pretty good because he just looks like a sort of middle-aged Indian guy, so that kind of plays into the, the nobody vibe of maybe he is just a complete nothing. But... Yeah, his action scenes are good. I, I didn't recognise any of the cast, but I, I thought they were all pr pretty reasonable. OK, so that is Leo, which is showing, I believe, at the light. Is that right? Light yeah, it was, it was showing at the light. It, hopefully it's still showing. It, I think it is worth checking out, but it does go too too mad by the end. It's too bonkers. It, too bonkers even for yeah. Matt. And Matt, <laughs> I tell you, can take some bonkers. Um, <laughs> it's a certificate 50. Dean or 12A, I don't know. Uh, it must be a 15. Although it's, it's weird, though, because some of the violence seems to have been edited out quite crudely because there'll be a scene where someone's about to have something very violent done to them and rather than cutting away to a reaction shot or something like that, the film just sort of skips forwards a couple of seconds and you just don't see it. So it feels like it's been quite crudely hacked maybe together. Maybe they've already put it together for the airlines. For the yeah. air, who knows? Maybe they've, they've saved some money by doing that. But that is Leo, and it comes with a, a cautioned recommendation from Matt, <laughs> if you can take the bonk and stay for it. It does have an interval, so... You, you That's know. a plus point. Cambridge 105 Radio. Saturday night on Cambridge 105 Radio is all about the soul. Hi, this is Jamie Stocker. Join me here on Cambridge 105 Radio playing two hours of classic, rare and new funk and soul regular features and playing the very best in new music across the funk and soul genres. The Funk and Soul Show with Jamie Stocker tonight at 8, right after Chris Brown on Cambridge 105 Radio. Rhythms of Southern Africa, a musical journey, is coming to the Cambridge Junction on Saturday the 4th of November. Brought to you by Shanghai Promotions, it's a Southern African music extravaganza. Starring South African legend Freddie Gwala, Afro pop star Shedi Malaika, the legendary Jay's Marabini band from Zimbabwe, rising star Nine, Aga Nayabinde and Lady B. Rhythms of Southern Africa, a musical journey where music and culture unite. Tickets available at shanghai.events or at junction.co.uk. This 
is Cambridge 105 Radio and you are listening to the Cambridge Film Show. Coming up, we've got reviews of films The Burial and Trolls. But first, we are hitting Netflix for Reptile. How have you been feeling? There's a case going on. It's a real nightmare. what happened I walked in the front door directed by Grant Singer Reptile is currently on Netflix and it's a bit of a crime drama following the brutal murder of a young real estate agent a hardened detective attempts to uncover the truth in a case where nothing is as it seems Emma hello you and I have very different takes on this and um, looking this up, I noticed that Grant Singer, he's, uh, he's not done, I think, any films before this. He's a music video director. He's worked with artists such as The Weeknd and Sam Smith. How do those skills for you, we'll come on to me in a minute, <laughs> transfer into I, feature film? I thought it was a very... I, I thought it was a very steady and solid, if you like, feature film directorial debut, personally speaking. I must admit, I was the one that lobbied to have this on this week's show because it did come out a couple Thanks. of weeks ago on Netflix. So you may you may well have missed it. And I like to think of us as giving a public service, yes, uh, yes. public service to people to, you know, to, to trawl around the outer edges of Netflix. Um and I was really sold to it because Benicio, because Benicio del Toro is front and centre in this, as you say, as hard and grizzle. He is, it, it's almost like a sort of modern day film noir, if you like. And he is this sort of traumatised um, detective with, 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 with the embattled past, except unusually in this one, he's actually married quite happily to a very oddly cast. I'm not going to lie, Yoz. Outside <laughs> of Benicio del Toro, I did find the casting really strange in this. I thought it has Justin Timberlake in it as a clearly up to no good <coughs> realtor himself, the boy, the boyfriend of the woman who is killed. And, um, Alicia Silverstone is back playing Benicio del Toro's wife. And I found them, hard to take as a couple but I did enjoy the fact that they, they like to go line dancing of an evening which again you know just seeing Benicio Del Toro cutting a rug in, in a line dancing scene for 40 seconds was enough to sell the film to me so look it's not it, it's not a flashy debut at all it's not but I did think it was quite assured and to me it kind of it, it sort of felt like a way back to those 90s and naughty sort of thrillers which aren't you know not high budget not flashy not it, it is just one story it's one crime they're investigating and they and, you know they get to the bottom of it and to be honest you're probably going to see where it's going from about halfway through but it, mm. it, it's kind of had a big easy vibe and i don't know i, I just and i really I really, really enjoy seeing Benicio. I mean, Benicio, they do an awful lot of holding the camera steady. Maybe that comes from the music video thing. Maybe it's yes. just a lot of faces and a lot of like, here is my star, so I'm going to shoot them looking moody. Um, and he does moody so well, to be Well, I was going to say, but yeah. when that's Benicio Del Toro, I didn't mind. No, no, and I, I can see where you're coming from. I think technically... I think the film was very, very accomplished in terms of how it was filmed, um, how it looked. Um, but for me, it was more about mood and atmosphere over any actual substance. I found this, if I'm honest, quite a slog to get through. Maybe because, like you say, I saw where it was going from about halfway through. I think in terms of sort of a murder mystery angle, there's not really enough mystery. And I think the thing that irritated me most were there's lots of details. As you follow the film, and you can disagree with me here, but there's lots of details that come in that don't actually 
actually connect or amount to anything. I was going to say, literally, the very first scene, right, which is those two girls getting dressed in the swimming pool changing yeah, yes, room. Yes. And one of them, it's called Reptile, obviously, and one of them has this sort of odd snake tattoo that goes all the way down the down her back and one of them is a girl who then ends up killed but I didn't really so I kept thinking well that's going to have to come back to somewhere isn't it yeah. so don't show a massive snake tattoo on someone's back <laughs> in a film called Reptile unless it's really but no it, did, it, it turned out that was really nothing to do with anything unless I missed something I don't think I did um, it, yeah we did, that, that was nothing to do with, with, with the storyline at all that, that girl with the tattoo never came back no no, I think she does come back to give a clue to something, but then that's not really amounting to anything either. There was, there was quite a lot of that all the way through. Now, I, I think I am being a bit cruel. I did watch it first thing this morning without any coffee in me, so I wasn't perhaps in the best mood. I think, we, look, we're going to be, after this, we're going to be moving on to another sort of around-the-edges yes. um, streamer in the burial. I think the reason I pushed it is because, for example, landing on landing on Netflix yesterday was Pain Hustlers, which is their big, flashy, you know, which yes. is the, the um, Emily Blunt and... Chris Evans, yet another opioid farmer. I, I say yet another, it's important we keep making them, but it does feel like we've been saturated a lot at the moment. And I just feel like this was quite quirky for Netflix because it didn't it doesn't have your normal massive A-list star let's put them into some kind of international situation so we can sell it to our international Netflix orders you know Netflix audience it felt like a more interesting choice than that maybe it very much has a sense of place it's kind of you know it's hard it's a hard scrabble that kind of mayor of Eastwood feeling crappy New England town sorry no crappy um it, 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 it has that vibe I, I just thought it was interesting and I thought it had an interesting cast and that's why I thought we should talk about it because I think you could, you could do a lot worse if you like you could watch moody... old dads on Netflix so <laughs> and that is a lot worse so if you like a moody crime drama then I think you would enjoy this Mo- moody is a great great word for it I think you know what you are you have are, I almost sold it to you not to me no, but I'm sure some of our listeners will be intrigued well I am I, look Benicio Del Toro is right in my sweet spot okay I'm a 50 year old woman so I'm not going <laughs> to lie I was, I was here for him and I stayed for him Justin Timberlake on the other hand that's some odd casting we'll come back to him <laughs> yes there, there is he is he is particularly particularly odd in this but Eric Bogosian's in it. Can you click on him, please, for me? Because I want to know where I, where I know him from. I love he him. was the brother in Uncut Gems, and he was in a famous film called Talk Radio. Oh. Yeah, and I, I I thought he was... Oh, and Succession. Of course, I've seen him in Succession. He was... he. Yeah, there, there are some really... There, yeah, there, there are some good... There's some good cast in it. Go for it. Go okay, for it. there you go. Emma says go for it. So, um, yes, if you would like to watch this, this is on Netflix. It's called Reptile, and it's just a certificate 15. Okay, so we're going to hop streaming channels now and we're going to move to Amazon Prime and we're going to talk about The Burial. Truth is, I may have gotten myself into a lot of trouble. I've been your lawyer 30 years. We can find a way out of it. You've never sued anybody before in your whole life. This fella tried to bully me out of business and I don't think I should be expected to stand for it. Mr. Gary hasn't lost a case in over 12 years. You suggesting I hire this guy as one of my lawyers? Y'all come on in. Pleasure to meet you, Mr. Gary. Let me introduce you to my call, Red. How do you feel about working with black folk? I suppose I am a little prejudiced. Mm. Did you meet my team? I'm Chris. Deshaun. Reggie Douglas. Gentlemen. He's suing us? He's suing us? We are a half a billion dollar corporation. So, how much money y'all trying to get? Eight million. That ain't enough money. One hundred million dollars. <laughs> Who is this clown he's hired as a lawyer? That is the trailer for The Burial, which you can watch on Amazon 
Prime. It's directed by Maggie Betts and it's loosely based, and I'm going to use the term loosely here, on the real-life story of Jeremiah Joseph O'Keefe, who is played by Tommy Lee Jones, a funeral home owner in financial trouble who is looking to push a lawsuit against the Lewin Funeral Company. He does have a lawyer already, but new recruit to his team, Hal Dawkins, recommends Willie E. Gary, who is played by Jamie Foxx, uh, quite the larger-than-life, unconventional character, and we go from there. So, Lorcan, I'm going to come to you first because mm. I got a very funny text from you last <laughs> night um, where I think you were critique, critique, critiquing some elements of this film, but how did you find it overall? Oh, no, it's it's a very... I don't know if there's a, a, a word for this kind of comfortable procedural type of film, but it's, it's as soon as it starts, you know exactly where it's going. The big, the big evil businessman's going to get thwarted by the underdogs. Um, it's very much... Uh, it looks better than the average streaming movie, which is good. Um, and it's very much built on the performances of Jamie Foxx and Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones is getting extremely old. He does a lot of sitting around and staring. But he's <laughs> he, he puts this, like... I don't know if it's it's just his voice now or if he put it on, but he's got this, like, kind of wobble to his voice that's just very endearing, and he's putting on this tough guy. But you can see he's so, he's so old. Uh, and Jamie Foxx is just as charismatic as ever. And those two... Their friendship that they build together is very, very, very sweet. Um, and every, everyone in the cast, everyone in the cast is quite one note, but they're all well cast, appropriately cast, and they pull off the job. And yeah, it's it's a very comfortable, safe watch. Well, I was going to say actually, this is one of my favourite performances from Jamie Foxx in a while. He just oozes charisma in this, doesn't he, Emma? Oh yeah, completely. He um, like we were talking about, and, I, and it's set in nineteen ninety six, I think. So you, it, it, it's it's 90, maybe ninety five because you you've got throwbacks to the OJ Simpson trial as yes. well. Because this is very much oh, this is about race as well. It's yes. recognised. Alan Ruck, another nice turn from Alan Ruck. Most recently in Succession, but always for me, Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> nice turn. As the older, you know, as, the, as, as, as like you said, Tommy Lee Jones, kind of family lawyer, he's had for thirty years. Mm. But it is, but as, as a recognisably Mississippi older white gentleman, he finds it hard to deal with this, you know, black legal team who then come in. But Jamie Fox, I, I you know, I mean, it, it, yeah, he, he, he just he picks his part up, he runs with it, and he has so much fun with it that I just, I had a good time watching it. You couldn't help it. You were saying that your, I believe, your partner knows something about contract law. Yes, so. Basically, I'll come on to this. If we talk about dramatic license here, I think once you get into the second half and they're actually in the courtroom, this is used quite heavily. I was watching it with my partner who, uh, he works in tax, but he does a lot of work around contract law. And the whole time he sat there going, that wouldn't happen. The judge wouldn't accept that. This is so stupid. I am so, a <laughs> if you If you look at the details of the actual case afterwards, you can see that they omitted some details. But that is to get those juicy courtroom scenes that we do get and I personally found them enjoyable there, I think there is a happy middle ground because I've heard I've heard tell that uh, my cousin Vinny apparently has the most accurate courtroom scenes mm-hmm. and they're also incredibly juicy oh, and fun to watch I haven't seen that for ages I'm going to watch that again you tonight my cousin Vinny. My cousin okay, Vinny. Right. Um, apparently, it's, it's quite, that's quite accurate in its depiction of courtroom scenes for a film, um, and that manages to get all the kind of juicy stuff. But this film, this film's a little quick and easy. It's it's just looking to condense everything into like kind of unbelievable kind of histrionics and the or what the word I'm trying to say, just kind of like filibustering and over the top dramatics for the the courtroom scenes. And I'm sorry, Ashley, I I did not realise you'd seen this too. Oh so, um, <laughs> uh, how did you find this? Do you think it lent too heavily on a bit of melodrama? No, 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 not at all. I think if you think back to 
another infamous big case like this, Erin Brockovich, that rested on her character. This rests on Jamie Foxx's character. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't... It is very plain and easy, but then when Lorcan was like, oh, the, the friendship between Jamie Foxx and Tommy Jones, I was like, that was what I loved the most. Because without giving anything away, when they come back in for final negotiations, they tell you, I'll see you in two or three hours. And it's so obvious that Jamie Foxx's character has really filled the old, wobbly Tommy Lee Jones with all the confidence he needs. Like, no, this is your fight. You're going to do this. You don't really need me. I'll just teach you what to say. Do what you think is right. And I thought that was adorable. And I love the little hallway high five at the end. And I won't tell you who that is, but that was very cute. That was... uh, got me in the feels that did because it also obviously it takes it, it, it takes this one particular the idea is obviously that Tommy Lee Jones has, has done a contract has done a handshake deal with the big evil guy Bill Camp over mm. his funeral parlour so there is an interesting take in this about the monetization of death because they even say you know we are about to hit the mm. jackpot because when the baby boomers get to the point they're going to die you know the, 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 the machinations and the monetization of, of death and then how they have really um they really focused on the poorer, you know, on poorer communities who could not afford that kind of thing, but mm. it almost forced them to go into debt to give their their family, their loved family members, the send off. I think that that's kind of tickled around, but it, yeah. you know, that that's the, that's that's how this case this case goes from one case to that bigger case. Yeah. But it is, and can I just say, I had not seen Mahmoudou Athiyeh play Hal in anything. I loved him. Oh, he, he was, was brilliant. Lovely. And Hal Dawkins, actually, if you think about it in terms of the narrative, he's the real MVP in this. But he doesn't he doesn't get much applause, but he is okay. And I, I just want to say as well, it, this is a really uplifting film, but it still touches on important themes around injustices, around mi- uh, for minoritised individuals, and it works really, really well from that front. So I think... Yeah. There's a brilliant kind of colour reversal, whereas you see all the time, you've got white judges, white juries, yeah. and you've just got to try and work around it. And but they just completely flip it. I'm they like, do, well, yeah. of course, it's you got a black judge, a black jury, get get a black legal team, that'll help us, duh. Well, yeah, and, and that's why they hit, hire Willie Gary, who is, like you say, kind of an ambulance chaser in his private jet and all the rest. But then, so, so you know, the, the lower legal team then takes on Journey Smollett playing yes. Mamie Downs, who's also great. I haven't seen her in much since um, Friday Night Lights, I don't think. And I loved, I, and, and they, they hire the best black lawyers they she can. She was do, horrible. Because they're. I, 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 well, uh, so I actually think going around the team, we seem to all quite enjoy that and you can watch it very much from the comfort of your own sofa. It felt like a throwback again. You know we're talking about Reptile, this felt yes. like a throwback again to yeah. those courtroom yeah. dramas. Yeah. And, I don't th- and I think again we can overlook Amazon Prime originals and we talk about this on the show a lot in terms of the flashier Netflix originals. Yeah. Amazon Prime originals can get overlooked and I think they tend to do a really good job. I yeah. don't have Netflix anymore, I stick to Prime. I mean if we're comparing, sorry to say it again, if we're comparing old dads to this, I know which one I absolutely <laughs> prefer. Sorry, I will stop Do on old that. Dads. But um, if you would like to watch The Burial, it is on an Amazon Prime, as we've said. I cannot remember what the certificate is. I think it might be a 12A, something like that. Um, 15. Or a 15, potentially a 15. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Right, so we can finish off because we can't forget that it is half term. So we need to check in with the adorable, I say that in the invited comments, I've got no idea if it was adorable or not, the adorable trolls band together. My exquisitely chiseled rock hard abs and I quit. Branch, we're out of sync. We've gone from boys to men and now there's only one direction for us to go, the back streets. Bye, see you later. Branch. What? Oh, hey. Are you all right? You're smiling and crying at the same time. It kind of looks like it's hurting your face. It does hurt my face. Branch. I'm John Dory, Branch's brother. What? Ow! <laughs> Former brother. Drama. Corn me, Dinkle. It's hard to say I'm sorry. 
Hello, Matt, as our resident father of a small person, because I take it you didn't choose to go and see this by yourself. Uh, no, I, t- I did take my daughter Poppy along. And OK, so this is the third in the Trolls instalment. The first one came out in 2016 when my kids were still young enough actually to go and see that one. And it was, I think, you know, surprise, a surprise hit and very, um, you know, very pleasant. And you have Anna Kendrick, I believe, coming back in as Queen Poppy and Justin Timberlake as... Branch. Branch, the <laughs> troll that she falls in love with in the first one. The second one, I think, came out during COVID, so it got a straight to DVD, mm. you know, straight to streaming release. I think it actually did quite well because it was one of those sort of premium streaming releases that you had to pay. Yeah, for you had to pay I, quid for. I actually remember spending fifteen of my own hard-earned <laughs> pounds for it, Matt. So there you go. And I didn't, but I did, but I did. At the end of that, I was like, right, that's never happening again. <laughs> Is this a case of diminishing returns? How does Trolls band together sit in the in the pa- pantheon of the Trolls universe? I think I think maybe it's it's slightly worse than the other two, but (laughs) much for muchness, it's it's very much. I don't think you need to have seen Trolls one and two in order to see this because they mostly retcon a lot of the stuff that happened in the first two because they want to do some sort of family drama. So Branch says, "Oh, actually, I have." four brothers and we were in a boy band it's like okay are they played by the other members of NSYNC can I ask that no I I think NSYNC do turn up I I have to admit I was kind of drifting off while watching this but (laughs) I I think NSYNC are in this no it's yeah Davy Diggs is one of them these are some big proper Broadway stars we have here Davy Diggs Diggs, Andrew Rannells not in NSYNC Sadly, De- definitely on Lensing. No, um, so sorry, I, I, inter- I totally interrupted. <laughs> no, um, I think the cast is quite strong, and you do have some some good uh, musical kind of contributions from <laughs> various people. But it's not it's not offensive, but it's not great. There's not really any kind of interesting stuff for adults there. I mean, comparing it to sort of Elemental, which I think is the last kind of kids film I saw in the cinema, that at least had. A sort of quite an interesting plot about being an immigrant and sort of Pixar the, do tend to, yeah. I think, hit the beats well for adults and children. I was thinking maybe to compare it to something like Sing or Sing Two, because this is obviously very much a straightforward musical. But Ash is saying to me they're good, and this is not. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think it's this is a fine musical. Like uh, when I was watching it with Poppy, she was quite bored in the non-singing bits, but she wanted to have, get up and have a little dance around during the singing bits. So I think in that sense it was successful, and there's. Uh, Anna Kendrick's very good as as Queen Poppy. I thought she was Princess Poppy. She must have been promoted while I wasn't looking. <laughs> uh, Justin Timberlake, I, I know he's been cancelled now, but I thought he was quite funny. Um, yeah, all the cast are doing fine. The plot is adequate. It sort of strings together a few set pieces. I think the animation style is really nice. It's always colourful, right? Yeah. It's very twinkly and colourful and it has that kind of fuzzy felt look to it. Exactly, maybe. so it's very twinkly and colourful and makes it all look like they're toys, but then there isn't really any context for why it looks like that. I think it maybe needs something like the Lego movie where you sort of show why it's all a toy, but they never do this. And that means the world just kind of feels very artificial. It, it's hard to see how everything connects because they, they're going to find you know, Justin Timberlake's brothers who he's never previously mentioned until now. And uh, they're going to find them because one of their other brothers is trapped in a diamond bottle and has to be broken out with a perfect pitch. And it's like, well, this is all just too complicated for for kids. So they're just going to switch off. I've got one question. Was it a well was it a well attended screening? I mean, this is the big release for smaller, like I said, for particularly smaller kids at half term. Was it well attended? Is it? Do you think? No, it's not no? really. I mean, it was it was pretty empty when I went in. Certainly not like Five Nights at Freddy's, which was pretty packed. 
So this could very well be your last chance to see Charles on the big screen. So race, if that's your vibe, and yeah, you haven't cancelled Justin Timberlake yourself. Um, I don't think I, it really needs any more than, than what it's done. I mean, it's, I think it's a fine series. I would give all of them three stars and say that they're fine. There we go. So, the fine Trolls Band Together <laughs> is showing at Cinemas in Cambridge, and I'm presuming it's a certificate PG, because nothing seems to be a U Matt, these days. You, it may even can, be a U. Yeah. I'm loving how we've really done our research on the... Um, on our, on <laughs> One bit I always forget. <laughs> right, that is the end of this show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you to Yossi and to Matt and to Ash, and I'm going to hand over to Lorcan very briefly to tell us what's going to be up on the next show. Uh, so, yeah, I think we've got Anatomy of a Fall, which is a Scandi drama, which everyone was very excited for. We've got uh, Dream Snow, the new Nicolas Cage film from the director of Sick of Me and producer Ari Aster uh, and uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about today but The Killer the new David Fincher film will be landing on streaming so we'll probably cover that one as well Spectacular that sounds like a show worth tuning in and here's a little touch of The Killing Moon by Echo and the Bunnymen to take you into your Saturday thank you very much for listening come back soon bye bye bye, bye. The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio